scripture reading is from Joshua 24, verses 14 to 18. Joshua 24. Verse 14. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So we'll note there that determination of God's people to serve the Lord, but the call to do so in the fear of the Lord in sincerity and truth. Would you then please turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. And I'll read verses 18 to 22, which is the text for the sermon. And then after that, from the Westminster Confession, chapter 16. Verse 18. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We shall know by this that we are of the truth, and shall assure our heart before him, in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart, and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Then if you look in your bulletin, you'll find a copy of the Westminster Confession, chapter 16, and we are up to articles 6 and 7 in that chapter. Last two articles in this chapter on good works. Notwithstanding, Article 6, the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in him, not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that he, looking upon them in his Son, 
is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. And then Article 7. Works done by unregenerate men, although for the matter of them they may be things which God commands, and of good use both to themselves and others, yet because they proceed not from an heart purified by faith, nor are done in a right manner according to the word, nor to a right end, the glory of God, they are therefore sinful and cannot please God or make a man meet to receive grace from God. And yet their neglect of them is more sinful and displeasing unto God. And uh, note, especially in that, the, uh, in these articles, especially in Article 6, the importance of uh, that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, will you teach us by your word about the service that we owe to you, our covenant obligations, our debt of gratitude. Teach us, Father, about the the motives and the manner of acceptable service of our dependency on you also for the ability to do such works and our dependency upon the Lord Jesus for their acceptability. We pray this in his name. Amen. Covenant people of God, people generally don't like insincerity when they detect it. Could be someone who says to another person, I love you, but you somehow sense that what they really mean is, I love myself. Or someone who says thank you to you for some favour that you've done, but they don't really care and they don't really mean it, and you sense that. Or someone who offers you praise, but you know them well enough to know that it's nothing more than flattery. Or when they say that, I completely agree with what you're saying, but you know that deep down they, they actually have exactly the opposite opinion. Rulers and famous people have to deal with this kind of pretense all the time. And according to folklore, King Canute grew so tired of that flattery that he had his throne put on the shoreline and ordered the rising tide to halt in order to demonstrate when the sea failed to obey his command, to demonstrate to all the flattering, insincere, obsequious toadies gathered around his throne that in fact he was nothing more than a mere man. So the story goes, from a man who could not stand that kind of insincerity. Well, the Lord also detests insincerity. But does that mean that we can gain acceptance for our works on the ground of our sincerity? As if if we are just sincere enough in the things that we offer by way of service to God, that this will act as some kind of meritorious cause of the acceptance of our works. So we look at the role that sincerity does and at the same time does not play in the doing of good works and their acceptability to the Lord. Three points as we look at this matter of sincerity, sincerity and works, secondly, sincerity and confidence, and thirdly, sincerity and prayer. 
sincerity and works, confidence and prayer. In the first place then, sincerity and works. Verse 18, the apostle exhorts the reader to love in deed and in truth. And he goes on to say that if we love in this way, in deed and truth, we will then be assured before God in whatever our heart condemns us. Where, for example, our conscience troubles us, at, um, or some, it could be some other part of the inner man, the heart, uh, could be something in about the way we think about things or feel about things, it could be our conscience, and where as a result of this, doubts arise as to whether what we have done to serve the Lord is really acceptable to him, or will he perhaps reject it? These words can be applied both to the general doubts that a believer may have, where you not only think your individual deeds are perhaps unacceptable to God, but where you start to think that all of your deeds are unacceptable, that you yourself are unacceptable to the Lord. And uh, this is the uh, kind of thing that Christians, office go, uh, Christians often go through. It could be uh, someone who serves as an office bearer or someone who leads studies in the midweek groups or in youth club or cadets and gems or work as a Christian school teacher. Those kind of situations where we feel that we're just ineffectual in what we're doing, that we're kind of useless in the life of the church and we, are, we feel rejected. Three significant observations about this kind of scenario. And it's not an unusual scenario. It's something that Christians may often feel, uh, some more than others, but probably all at some point. The first observation is that the deeds we do, if they are to be acceptable to God, they must be marked by love. Starting with the love of God, but then that flowing over also into love of our neighbour who is made in his image and especially to our brethren who are one with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it needs to be marked by that love of God and of our neighbour if it's to be acceptable to God. After all, love is the fulfilment of the law. Romans 13 verse 8, Galatians 5 verse 14. No love, no fulfilment, no true law-keeping. Second, love needs to be indeed, which in this case means not simply with a lot of nice sounding words and phrases. James 2 verses 14 to 26 addresses this and talks about the person who has a, a poor person come to them or a needy person coming for help and they say to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, but they actually give nothing beyond those mere words. Good works certainly include our thoughts and our words, but those things must be followed through with deeds wherever that's appropriate. And this, when it is followed through in that way, is a way of demonstrating how sincere we are in the doing of these works. If we say we're going to do such and such, and we're full of nice-sounding talk about it, but there's no follow-through in action, then people around us will doubt our sincerity, and we should doubt that for ourselves. In fact, 
uh, in the parable that the Lord Jesus told in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31, you had those two sons, the one son who verbally said, yes, I'm going to do, Father, I'm going to do what you've said, but he went away and he didn't do it. And then you had the other son who said, I'm not going to do it. Dad, I'm not going to do it. But he went away and he did what his father had asked anyway. And the one who followed through with those actions is in the far better place than the one who had all the nice sounding phrases to his father. Yes, dad, right away, dad, three bags full, dad, and then went off and didn't do a thing. Third, love is to be in truth. Acceptable works display love that is in truth. That means works that originate in the work of the truth in your life, the work of God's word as God applies that word to you by the power of his Holy Spirit and arising from that truth of God's word, we then follow through with certain thoughts, words and deeds. Uh, the truth of God's word supplying a motive for doing those deeds. Also, the word of God telling us which deeds are warranted by scripture as good deeds and which ones man invents. And also the word of God, the truth, telling us what kind of manner, in which manner we should do those deeds as we carry them out. But in truth also implies sincerity. This is where this theme of sincerity that I've been following through in this service comes in. Good, in doing good deeds in truth involves sincerity rather than an empty pretense, for example, saying, yes, I've got the right motive for doing good works, when in fact I have not. Westminster, in Article 6 here, says that God is pleased to accept and reward, and we understand that, of course, to mean graciously reward, that which is sincere, although from our side our works, no matter how sincere, they're always accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections. Idleware Catechism, Lord's Day 33, question 91. Similarly, good works are only that which arises out of true faith. And that's another way of saying something that's sincere, that arises out of true faith rather than out of some pretense of faith. And also they are those which conform to God's law and done for his glory. In 1 John 3.21, we read that the Lord knows our hearts. He knows if you are not acting in faith. He knows if you are not acting for his glory. He knows if the things that you are claiming as your good works, at least in your own mind, if not before others, is just an empty pretense, or whether this is a matter of sincerity. These words in the Westminster answer our earlier question, does our sincerity earn acceptance for our deeds? No, for as Article 6 states, our good works are in themselves not unblameable or unreprovable in God's sight. They are accompanied by far too many weaknesses, although you only need one weakness, one imperfection, but they are accompanied by many weaknesses and imperfections, and therefore, if they were evaluated on their own basis and merits alone, they would be completely unacceptable to God. And that is true even of our sincerity. No matter how sincere you are, there's always a compromise of that sincerity. It can be uh, mixed motives, for example. 
you're acting partly for the Lord, but you've got other reasons mixed in. The desire to be seen by others in church to do the right thing or things of that kind. So no, those, even our sincerity is not a ground, a meritorious ground or cause of our works being made acceptable. But true faith, and as I've said before, as the scripture says, even faith as small as a mustard seed, even the smallest amount of faith is still that which connects us inevitably and irrevocably to the Lord Jesus Christ, for whose sake our deeds are regarded as if they were unblameable and unreprovable, as the Westminster states. True faith a gift of the Holy Spirit, a response to his work of regeneration within us, is always marked by sincerity. It is always marked by building on the foundation of Jesus Christ rather than running off and trying to do things for ourselves in our own strength. It is always marked by that which is according to the word of God because the spirit never goes against the word of God. It is marked by truth. It is marked by the love of God and by the love of neighbour and it is marked by a concern, an ultimate concern for God's glory. And that is why love in deed and love in sincerity are connected to acceptable works. Not as a ground, not as supplying the merit of those works being accepted, but as a litmus test of that work which is truly grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and marked and moved by the Holy Spirit because that's the kind of work that he creates. Works done by the unregenerate will always fail that test. Even when they do things outwardly that are commanded by God's word, as the Article 7 here makes clear. But for the believer... Our works, and I don't say we do this consistently, I don't say all our works are like this, but as believers, we are moved by God to do works that are built on the Lord Jesus Christ, even though we never ply our building trade as well as we should. Well, since these tests of our works show what is truly grounded in Christ, they are a litmus test of that, these criteria that we've been looking at, they are a test of that which is truly grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake acceptable to God. Sincerity also plays a role in our confidence concerning these works. Our second point. And just as we saw this morning uh, with the text there that there was a big emphasis uh, on assurance for God's people, so also in this passage it is aimed at assuring doubting and troubled Christians about the, the value of their works in Christ. Verse 19, you see that we will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him. Verse 21, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You see that knowing, being assured, having confidence. And this is an important encouragement to us because, as I mentioned, even true Christians have doubts. If not about themselves, then perhaps about the works that they do in church and kingdom. And the more conscious we are of our sins and failures, 
the more we may have these doubts, the more we may find our conscience or our mind or our feelings, the heart, the inner self, accusing us. You did that work in the church. You didn't do it for God. You did that work in the church for yourself. You did that work in the church for appearances. And the work was was very poor quality. It's not acceptable. It's going to be burned on the last day and so forth. And sometimes as we make those evaluations, sometimes you'll be right. We know that many of our works will be burned. Everything not built on Christ will be burned on the last day. The scripture teaches that. So sometimes you will be right as you evaluate the works that you have done. And sometimes you'll be wrong. And sometimes when you approve your own works, when you give yourself a little pat on the back and you say, I think I did a pretty good job in that uh, work in the church the other day. I think I'm doing well. Sometimes you may be right in Christ and sometimes you will be wrong. Because after all, who is the best judge of your works and their acceptability? It is not you. The best judge is the Lord. And that's why verse 21 speaks of confidence before God. And verse 19 of our hearts being assured before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. The Lord is greater in his discernment of your motives. The Lord is certainly also uh, greater in his knowledge of the cleansing work of his Holy Spirit in your life. And his knowledge is infinitely superior when it comes to knowing how the Lord Jesus Christ renders your works built on him acceptable. He knows infinitely more about that than you and I do. He is so much better, infinitely better, at knowing uh, whether you are displaying Christian love in the doing of your works or whether they are grounded in the truth of his word or how sincere you are. Some also read this statement about God being greater than our heart to mean that God is greater in mercy than we are. And as a result of that, when the devil often seeks, the devil often seeks to find evidence to negate our works, to convince us that what we have done is not acceptable, even in Christ, throw it out the window so that no glory, that you will not think that any glory is coming to God from what you are doing because there is no work of God in your life in that area. That's what the devil wants us to think, and he often encourages us to think that way, and our consciences often agree with the devil's evaluation. And yet the Lord is, through all of that, constantly looking at us in Christ. And because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, finding reason to accept flawed works that are nevertheless, bottom line, built on the foundation of Christ, and for his sake acceptable. So in that way, we could say that not only is God a greater judge, greater at seeing where we go wrong, but he is also greater in mercy than we are uh, in the evaluation of ourselves and of our works. Nevertheless, the Apostle John is encouraging us to look as objectively as we can at the evidences in our lives. And of course, with each one of these evidences, we could make a wrong evaluation. You say, I, 
I don't see any love in my life when I did this or that, and yet there was. Or the opposite, where I I really think I'm so filled with love for my brethren, and I did it for them, and I did it for the Lord when we didn't. Uh, The Lord is able to see all of those things, and we often make mistakes with every evidence, every criteria that we could look at in our own lives, we're capable of making mistakes with it. But God is greater than our hearts, and he's able to override that kind of negativity and to convince us by the work of word and spirit that God is at work in our lives. And so we're encouraged to see that uh, if we find in our lives, if we can see evidence that there is uh, the love of God and neighbour coming out, not just in words, but also in deeds, uh, seeing things, see us finding ourselves doing things that could only originate in in the scripture, in the work of the scripture, word and spirit in our lives. Even if it's very much accompanied by flaws from our side, and if we find that what we're doing is according to God's word, and if we sense in ourselves that desire to give glory to God, and if we believe, as far as we know it, that we are looking to the Lord Jesus as the ground of the acceptance of our works before God, and of our whole selves for that matter, then you can overcome, with God's help, that harsh condemnation of yourself on the part of your own heart, and have confidence before God. Confidence in Christ, not in yourself. This is not presumptuous arrogance, but it is trust in the Lord Jesus. And we need to learn to apply that trust in him to our evaluation of ourselves and our works. It is presumptuous arrogance if you have confidence in the acceptability of your own works without sincere faith in Christ, without concern for the glory of God, without concern for what the scripture says. And if we have no biblical agape love for God or our neighbour, then certainly that is presumptuous arrogance. And then our confidence would only be false self-confidence. But God does enable us to evaluate, to examine ourselves, self-examination. He does examine us to do that rightly when we lean upon him. One area of our works is singled out here, and that is prayer, which, as you may recall, is the most important part of thankfulness. Lord's Day 45, question 116. Here too, sincerity in prayer is crucial for our prayers to be accepted by the Lord. Third and final point, sincerity and prayer. So it's as if uh, John is giving us here a kind of test case with prayer for what else he has been saying about works in general. There are many works that Christians do. We've got general principles here on them. But now we have a test case What is your prayer life like in this respect? Because prayer is one of the most important works that Christians do. Most important part of thankfulness. Verse 21 says that if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, our works are demonstrating the love of God, obedience to his truth, sincerity, etc., then we can have confidence before God. And one of the things that comes out of confidence before God is that bold and free access to the throne of grace, to the throne of God, especially in prayer. 
Because if you don't see the work of God in your life with your works in general, if you don't find these evidences in your life, then it's so much harder to come before the Lord in prayer because you feel, what's the point? Or you feel too guilty. And so you lapse in your scripture reading and your prayer life and spiral down. Confidence before God then includes that bold and free access in prayer, which is also why prayer is selected here as a kind of test case uh, of how we're doing our works and how we evaluate them. This is why verse 22 speaks of the Lord answering our prayer if our heart does not condemn us and we are keeping his commandments. Uh, He answers our prayers evidence that this is a work accepted. If it's unaccepted, God does not answer our prayers. He doesn't listen to us. But if it's acceptable in Christ, he does listen. And when we see him answering our prayers, that's evidence of that. For again, the presence of love and truth and obedience and sincerity in our lives implies it's evidence of a genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our prayers as works are made acceptable to God in Christ due to his work and arising out of and motivated by faith in him, true faith. Not that our sincerity or love or obedience are the meritorious ground of our prayers being accepted and answered. No, Christ is the only ground and reason for that. Now, you will also note the remarkable promise of verse 22 in this that we will receive whatever we ask from him because we are keeping his commandments and not condemned before God. And yet probably we've all had the experience of praying for something, and it may be something even very urgent to us, and it may be something extremely important to us, but the Lord didn't, didn't give it to us. We didn't receive that positive answer to our prayer. So how can we square this promise that we will get what we ask for, how can we square this promise with the hard realities of our experience as Christians? In answer to that, I'd suggest that we ought not to absolutize these words and take them out of context, just as that part of this passage, whatever we ask, we receive. You, know, that's, uh, you can take all sorts of things out of context when people speak to you. You ignore the rest of the sentence and just take out the part you want to hear and jump on that. There's a danger of doing that with this verse. Because we have to consider both the immediate context of this passage and also the broader context of Scripture. The context here is about love in deed rather than empty words. Love in truth, which means obedience and sincerity. It is about these uh, works of God being evidenced in your life. But there are other parts of Scripture that bring in other principles and other criteria for acceptable prayer. This is not the only passage. We need to look at the whole counsel of God. There are other parts of Scripture that emphasize praying in Christ's name on the foundation of him and his work, or praying in faith, or praying out of gratitude. And all of that needs to be put together. And when we put all of that together, when you ask for things that God's word commands you or promises you, and you do so in faith, 
on the foundation of Jesus Christ and his merits for God's glory, out of gratitude, out of love of God and love for others, then you will receive what you, are, what you ask. Not always when you want it or expect it. Not always in the precise way you might have imagined. But when you pray outside of these parameters, there's no guarantee. Though we remember that God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. And in his grace and in his wisdom and mercy, he often does give things give us things that we pray for, even when there's no certainty for those things from his word. Uh, you pray, for example, for recovery from illness. There's no guarantee from God's word that you will be granted an immediate recovery. You pray for it, and sometimes the Lord answers that and grants a very quick and good recovery beyond our expectations, and sometimes not. And for the same reason, God's grace, mercy, and wisdom Sometimes he withholds the things that we pray for in that area. The point in all this is that as with our prayers, so with all our works. When we understand how this works with prayer and its acceptability, it helps us to understand the general principles for all our works, of which prayer is a major one. The only acceptable ground for our prayers is the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as with prayer, so it is with all our works. The only way we can pray acceptably to God is in the name of Jesus Christ, according to his will, according to his word, as well as on his merits. So it is with all good works. They must be in truth. Prayer must be sincere. It must be from the heart. Lord's Day 45, question 117. So must all our other works. Prayer must arise from thankfulness. So must all our other works. Prayer must arise from love of God and love of neighbour. So with our other works. And as prayer must be for the glory of God, so must all acceptable works. Confidence concerning our prayers comes in essentially the same way as confidence with our other good works, and it all comes back to the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.